Ellen on politics. Yeah, we need to fight back against any injustice that we're experiencing with this election. Welcome once again to Alan on Politics. The music was Cantit performing Let's Work Together. And the two voices that you heard over the music I'm going to talk about right now. The first voice was that of Anna Kasparian. She's a correspondent on the Young Turks YouTube video channel. And this clip was from April of 2016 when they were discussing the 2016 nomination contest between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton in the Democratic primaries, and they were complaining about how there were a series of problems in the counting of votes or counting of delegates that always seemed to favor Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders. So here's a longer version of that same clip. Give a listen to Anna Kasparian talking about the frustrations with the voting process. Unfortunately, because of all the issues that are coming up in this election, I think that it discourages people from taking part in our democratic process, right? You don't want people to think for a second that their vote doesn't matter. Yeah. I know we have a system of political corruption. I know that we have all these issues in various states when it comes to being fair in the primaries and the caucuses. But with all that said, the only thing we have left as American people is the vote, yeah. is the ability to cast a ballot and share what we think or who we think is the right person to lead the country. So I don't want any of this to discourage anyone. But with that said, yeah, we need to fight back against any injustice that we're experiencing with this election. Now notice a couple of things that she starts out by talking about how there are problems in getting your vote to actually count. And then she says, our vote is all we have. And finally ends up on, we got to fight these kinds of election problems. The question that is left hanging is if our vote is all we have and our vote is not being counted properly, how do we fight? What are the tools for fighting the problems of elections that aren't really representing the will of the people? She leaves that hanging, and I don't know if elsewhere she tries to answer it, but I know Bernie Sanders supporters have not settled on a common solution to this. Some are continuing to try to advanced progressives in Democratic primaries, even though it feels like they're beating their head against the wall at times. Others have migrated to alternative parties like the New People's Party or the old Green Party or maybe Andrew Yang's forward party. But the history of minor parties, third parties in trying to win elections is not very impressive. And finally, there are those who try to, you know, either drop out or resort to pressuring their congressmen or marching or demonstrating. I'm not sure what all they're trying, but they left that question hanging. If our vote is not counted properly, what other tools do we have to fight this process? Now, the second voice gives an answer to that question or poses an answer. This was an unidentified man in the audience at a recent rally sponsored by the Turning Point USA organization. And here we're going to have a longer clip of the man speaking and the response he got from Turning Point leader Charlie Kirk. 
at this point, we're living under a corporate and medical fascism. This is tyranny. When do we get to use the guns? No, and I'm, and, I, and I'm not, that's not a joke. I'm not saying it like that. I mean, literally, where's the line? How many elections are they going to steal before we kill these people? So, well, no, I, 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 no, hold on. I, I'm, no, stop, hold on. And now I'm going to denounce that. I'm going to tell you why. Because you're playing into all their plans, and they're trying to make you do this. That's okay. Just hear me out. You started with a compliment, so at least give me a little bit. <laughs> they are trying to provoke you and everyone here. They are trying to make you do something that will be violent, that will justify a takeover of your freedoms and liberties, the likes of which we have never seen. We are close to have, hold on, we are close to have momentum to be able to get this country back on a trajectory using the peaceful means that we have at us. Okay, so this man says that we are um, under tyranny, fascism is advancing, and if they're stealing elections and our votes are not being counted properly, his answer to the question is, is there a point at which we take up guns and kill these people, whoever these people are? I don't know what he means by that, if that's secretaries of state who are certifying elections, or maybe even the ordinary people who are helping count the votes and process or run the elections, or maybe going back to hanging by, uh, vice former Vice President Mike Pence because he uh, certified the election in uh, January 6 when the, when the people stormed the Capitol. I'm not sure who he wants to shoot, but he is clearly frustrated by what happened. And he says, well, if, if our vote isn't counting, what are we supposed to do if important freedoms are at stake? Now, a lot can be said about this man's take on this. And of course, a lot has been said. I want to point to just a few things. First of all, when I first heard about this clip, I heard it through a Washington Post columnist, Michael Gearson, and he gave me a somewhat distorted view of what actually was going on. He called this a pro-Trump rally and quoted the man talking about guns, but didn't quote Charlie Kirk answer to the man. Now, I didn't see this as a pro-Trump rally. When I looked at it, it was a rally regarding critical race theory and getting it out of the schools. Uh, whatever you think of that cause, it didn't seem to be focused on Trump. I don't know that Trump spoke there or he sponsored it or anything else. Of course, Charlie Kirk is, uh, I think, pro-Trump and he's repeated the falsehoods about the election being stolen. But aside from all that, this man is clearly uh, agitated to the point of wanting to engage in violence. And it's not only ironic that the prediction of Charlie Kirk that people would use this against them came true because a liberal elite media columnist is trying to gin up the remarks about taking up guns and attribute them to Trump supporters, which may be as accurate as far as it goes, but that wasn't what the rally was about. And that's not how Charlie Kirk responded to him encouraging violence, even though he could say that was kind of disingenuous because Kirk was stirring up these this misinformation about the election having been stolen in the first place. Doesn't really matter if it was stolen. Of course, it matters if it was stolen or not, if the votes were accurately counted. But I think behind this is something larger that is also reflected in the Bernie Sanders uh, supporters frustration, which is that whether the votes were counted according to the rules or not, it does not seem like 
our electoral system is putting people in office who really are responding to the people's needs and wants. It's ironic to me that in our last show of Allen on Politics, I was, last two shows, really, it was a two-part uh, series on interviewing Cory Dolgan of Stonehill College about the encroachment of fascism in the United States. And of course, we had a very different take on who the fascists are and what's going on, uh, what the dangers are, what the signs of it are. But it was similar to what this guy was saying, that our freedoms are being encroached upon. We can't rely on the democratic process, but we don't want to turn to uh, violence, as Charlie Kirk says. What can we do? Uh, Corey Dolgan, in my interview, said we need to stand up, be present, go to school boards even, which is the same thing that Charlie Kirk is talking about, going to school boards, starting from the bottom and countering what you see as pernicious influences and building up from there. So mirror image, which is often the case, uh, also the prediction that Kirk had that this would be used against you and that the government would suppress you. Well, on the left, there's a long history of that, right? Any kind of violence at all, one guy in Portland who claims to be an anti-fascist, the dreaded Antifa, shooting somebody, uh, is blown up into a major disaster. Of course, it was for that man and his family, but it's not a sign that Antifa is running around the country loose with guns, shooting people. Anyway, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here. What I'm trying to say is that it's a shared sentiment on both sides of the political spectrum that urgent issues are at stake, that voting does not seem to put in place people who are responding to those urgent issues, but rather an established elite is continually holding power despite the people's wishes for a change. That's the commonality. And the frustration on both sides is also a commonality. What they see as the problem, what they see as the solution, where they want to take it may be different, but there is a commonality there. And I want to emphasize the commonality rather than the difference, because I think the media and the politicians that have been in office for a while would like to gin this up as just a case of the other side is scarier than our side. And we really need to take extreme measures in order to counter them. Both sides would like to make this a left, right, uh, Democrats, Republicans issue and use it for their advantage in elections. Whereas it's really a people against elites issue and both sides are feeling it and they're having trouble coming together because they're so confused about what's going on and what they can do about it. So what is going on? Is it a case that just elections are being stolen? Well, I think in some cases in history, there's lots of cases where votes, there is cheating in the election system. You can think of the uh, Lyndon Johnson early in his career or in the Gore versus Bush um, contest in 2000, how the Supreme Court stepped in in a very, I think, biased way to settle that election. Uh, Nixon complained about the Kennedy-Nixon presidential election in 1960. So we got a history of cheating in votes. And of course, to have a fair process, you have to give everybody an equal right to vote. You have to make sure uh, people have access to the ballot, you have to make sure the votes are counted fairly. All of that is true. And even with all of that, you might not get a representative outcome. And that's the real problem. 
That's the real problem behind all the other arguments and problems that people are focusing on. How do I know that's true? Well, look at how many people are disenchanted with both of the major parties, and yet what do we keep getting? Major party candidates are winning one way or the other. And no matter which one is in power, you can have the office of president and the Congress shifting from one party to the other. But over the course of the last 50 years, we've seen the same problems escalating over time. To begin with, you have the erosion of the power of the working class, starting most visibly in the 1970s with the competition from abroad, shutting down a lot of industrial jobs in the U.S. The uh, auto industry had struggles at first with competition, and then the steel industry started shutting down. People were losing good jobs and not seeing anything as good replace them. They tried to re they dealt with inflation in the 1970s, elected Reagan, and then they got a recession instead of inflation and more loss of jobs. They elected Clinton. He negotiated trade deals. And then there was George Bush, you know, and he lied to us about the war in Iraq and then presided over the buildup to the great financial crash of 2008 when a lot of people lost their homes. But bankers and banking executives seemed to walk scot-free. They did walk scot-free and pocketed big bonuses in addition. Finally, you got the pandemic, which is also interfering in normal economic activity. And you can blame people who believe this vaccine disinformation. I think they have some reasonable fears, which are mostly centered on the fact that you can't trust big drug, drug companies. They don't have our interest at heart. You can see that in this recent infrastructure bill debate. Widespread sentiment that the government should lower prescription drug prices, but neither the Democrats nor the Republicans seem to be able to pass something significant to get those drug prices lowered. Drug companies profiting on the backs of people who are sick. Now, why should we trust them for vaccines? I still think it's worth getting the vaccine. I think it's safe enough. I think there's a lot of misinformation, but I can see why people would not trust the government telling them that, and especially the government stepping in and making them do something makes the situation even worse. It's like pouring gasoline on the fire. So there is a long history of people seeing their standard of living eroding, problems crop, cropping up and escalating, including climate change, and now the pandemic, which drags on and on and dissension about how to handle all those problems. But no matter the fact that people all see the same kind of problems and want them dealt with, and polling has showed us that the vast majority of the public wants to see the government address climate change, wants to see the government lower drug prices, wants to see the government raise the minimum wage. It's a bunch of issues on which there's wide agreement. No matter who we elect from which party, we can't seem to get that. So there's something wrong with our representative democracy. It's not that democratic, and it's not that representative. So what is the answer to this? Well, it's not taking up guns and shooting people because that won't change anything. It'll just make things more chaotic and threatening to us, our families and everybody else. Um, so let's say, let's put down the guns. That would be my advice. And I'm reminded in our last episode at the end there, I was kind of joking about this and I shouldn't have saying that, you know, it may come to the point where people need to take up guns, but I hope it doesn't come to that point. Of course, I hope it doesn't, but I shouldn't have even have been joking about that because people have received death threats and some people have been shot over things like this, killed. So let's put down the guns and think about what it is we need to do 
to make sure people feel they have a voice, feel that the government is responsive to them, feel that the government is making necessary changes, or at least making the best changes they can see to make. What does representative democracy entail? What are the essential elements of it, and how do we go about getting that? Now, I'm going to say there's a lot of reforms out there that would that may have a part of the solution, like campaign finance reform or open primaries. There's a lot of things out there. And, you know, Andrew Yang has lately been promoting not only a new party, but also the idea of having open primaries where people can vote in whichever party's elections they want or candidates are running, regardless of which party they represent, and using ranked choice voting to select things. So I think there's merit in a lot of these ideas. But I think the most essential one is to correct two flaws of our current electoral processes. What are those? Number one, it should not be possible to elect people with a minority of the voters supporting them. No way can a candidate be representative of the general public if a small proportion of the voters actually want them in office. This is a problem in our political system due to what is called vote splitting. And of course, people have heard me say this before, and it's worth repeating. When you have a system in which you get to pick only one candidate, and the one who gets the most votes wins, whether they have a majority or not, you're going to end up with only two parties to choose from and people winning with less than a majority of the vote. We've had plenty of elections where people win with less than 50% of the vote. And we've also would have a lot more of those if people didn't feel pressured by this system of voting into voting for one of the two major parties, even if they don't like the candidates. Now, that's the other thing. When people feel like in the primaries, they're not even getting their selection of their favorite primary candidate, but then you're presented with you only get these two primary winners in each of the parties. And then if you vote for another party, you're, you're still going to get stuck with one of these two, probably the one you like least. All of that conspires to say you don't have much of a voice in the outcome. So that's number one. You cannot have a system. You should not have a system in which somebody can win with the minority of the vote. It has to be at least the majority and to the extent possible, the widest possible majority. Consensus, if that were possible, that everybody could agree that, okay, we'll agree to this one candidate to represent us, that would be true representative democracy. But you need, first of all, a system in which somebody with fewer votes than a majority can win. Uh, how do you build a consensus candidate? Well, of course, we're never going to get to the ideal situation where everybody agrees on this. But I think you need a system that counts more than your first choice vote. You have to look at people's second choice and third choice and make that count factor into the outcome. If not, if everybody's just choosing their first choice, you're forcing people into a situation where they're going to have immediate conflict with each other. There's no sense of finding common ground. Either your guy is going to win or my woman is going to win. I don't want to call them both guys because it's not always guys. Uh, if one side or the other wins and everybody else loses, then it's a no-win contest for us. we got to find a way to say that if there's a second choice that a lot of people agree on, maybe that's better than the first choice. Let me illustrate that with an example. Suppose you have an election with four candidates. None of them has a majority, but the first three get around 30%, you know, maybe 
33, 32, 30%. And the final one gets the remainder a couple percentage points as a first choice. But all the other voters who picked the first three candidates have the fourth candidate as their second choice. Now, I would say that fourth candidate would be the best candidate for a representative system because everybody is at least okay with that candidate. A few people like them the most, but everybody says, all right, if I can't get who I want, I'd be okay with this candidate. So you need a system in which people can indicate their second choice to see if there is someone that has a broad consensus that has not only a high degree of support from a from a set of voters, but a broad support from more than one set of voters. This doesn't just mean coming up with someone who's a watered down version. It means somebody who can actually speak to those issues that cut across the divides instead of focusing on things like critical race theory or whatever else it is that people see as wedge issues. You're trying to focus on getting as many people as possible by talking about issues that there's wide consensus on, like you know addressing climate change or lowering drug prices, as I mentioned earlier. So somebody that can actually address the problems that a lot of people see and would like the government to address, rather than these things that stoke up a minority of the most partisan people in the primary elections in order to get their candidate to win and be the, one of the few on the ballot that has a realistic chance of winning. I should say one of the two who has a realistic chance of winning. All right, so is there a voting system that does that? Well, there's voting systems in which there are second choices, such as ranked choice voting, which I supported for a long time, and I still think is an improvement over the system that we currently have. But the best one I've come across is star voting. Uh, it's a variation of range or score voting in which you get to score your candidates, and then those scores are all added up for each candidate to determine the outcome. It's a little more complex than that for star voting, but not real complex, actually simpler, I think, than ranked choice voting. But the key thing here is that your second choice actually factors into the outcome. It's actually counted in ranked choice voting. Only your first choice counts, and your second choice only counts if the first choice is eliminated from contention. So if you take that scenario of the three of the four candidates, the first one to be bumped out in ranked choice would be the fourth candidate and the three candidates would be what you're left with. With star voting, it is possible for that fourth choice candidate to get into the uh, running because they can add up scores, all those second choice scores, as well as the first choice scores, to get a higher score and get them competitive with the other candidates. All right, so that's the first thing. You have to have a widespread support. The second thing is you have to have a system that encourages people to form a common preference for who's going to represent them and what that representation is going to mean. If you have a system that splits people into opposing camps, the outcome is inevitably not going to be representative of the broad public, but of a part of that public. And the part that loses is going to be extremely upset, leading to these kind of situations where the outcome of the election feels like a life or death matter, and really it often is, yet you get one or the other. You know, you either get the one you like or you get the one that you're really afraid of and what they're going to do once they're in office. So we need a way of forming a common will by getting people to talk about things that they have in common rather than the things that divide them and finding ways to, you know, 
come together around common positions and and actually explain to each other where we're at so we can come even closer together. Again, I think a system in which second choices count make that more feasible because candidates looking for more, more uh, support are going to look beyond the lines of partisan affiliations to try to get support from people of other persuasions where they have something in common. They're going to focus on what they have in common. And voters are also going to feel more free to look at other parties and say, you know, we're not just stuck with the two major parties who seem to be dominated by this elite, whatever this elite happens to be. You know, Republicans see them as one thing, Democrats see them as another. But essentially, we all have the sense that some small elite is controlling things and the people are not. So we have uh, real choices that we can have. We can turn to a third party and vote them high and also say, well, in the case that that third party doesn't win, we'll also choose one or the other of the other parties by giving them a score higher than the other. Not going to explain the mechanics of it because I've gone into this a number of times on other videos. Please check those out. But that's essentially what I want to say is that we need a system that, number one, um, allows people to express their second, third, fourth choices and that that actually factors into the final outcome. And uh, number two, we need a system that encourages people, both candidates and voters, to look across party lines and partisan affiliations and ideological um, dividing lines to find things that we have in common. That would be the thing that tamps down, hopefully, violence instead of escalating violence and the uh, threat of violence all the time. Is there a way to get those things in place? If you can identify it, say, if you agree with me that star voting is superior to what we have now, I think there are. We can use the initiative process. We can pressure candidates to adopt positions on this. We can, you know, if we focus on this as the first step of getting anything else changed, then we have a chance. Now, I'm not saying the other issues aren't important and other election reforms aren't important, but I say let's focus on that stuff before we focus on things that divide us. Let's focus on election reform. All right. Well, next couple of shows i'm actually going to go into star voting once again in a little more depth and this time it will be from a sense of the origins of star voting how it was developed why it was developed and what the motivations were of the people who first got into it i'm going to be interviewing mark frommeyer who's the key figure in this and also uh, sharing some of my own experiences with it because i got into it fairly early i would say and uh, uh, Shows after that are going to focus on universal uh, basic income, once again, a popular topic, I think, in, for these programs. Talking to uh, a guy who wrote a book recently about um, using central banking and new money to fund a basic income. Sounds very interesting, and I hope you look forward to that, joining me for that. Again, if you enjoy the show, please hit the like button, whether it's on the podcast version or Facebook or YouTube or wherever you're seeing, hit the like button, share it with other people, tell other people about the shows. And at the end of this year is going to be the end of the first season. I'm going to take a break for a few weeks, about a month maybe, and come up with a, you know, maybe a new format, make some changes. So I'd like to hear from you, not only on what you liked or didn't like about this show or your comments or reactions or reflections on it, but also on what you'd like to see change about the show in general. What could I be doing better? What should I be doing more of? What should be changed? What should be left the same? Please give me some feedback on that so I can think about it uh, before I come back next year. 
So again, thank you for joining me. I hope you got something out of this show. And I look forward to seeing you again, or not, if not seeing you, <laughs> hearing from you in some way. Hope you enjoy the show in the next couple of weeks as well. All right, I think I'm done.